reading from the epistle of 1 Peter. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. If you would join me, I'm going to share one more word of prayer before diving into God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And then the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's the deal. It's foggy, it's comfortable, it's dark. We need to stay awake. If you see someone nodding off, just pinch them with a holy pinch, okay? Um, no, it's really good to have you here this morning. I'm really excited about the journey we're about to take. Why? Because we're diving into a whole new book called the book of 1 Peter. And uh, we've never in this church preached through this book, but we're, we're going to look at various uh, takeaways from this book over the next several months, and you're going to hear various voices from this place, this pulpit, over the next several months. So um, I hope you're excited, uh, and even from today's message, you'll see why uh, we can be excited with this book. It's so rich and so applicable to us. 
So with that being said, the title of today's message, message is The Long View. And uh, as is our custom, I want to begin with a, a question. Have you ever endured hardship because you have a long-term goal in mind? Have you ever endured hardship because you have a long-term goal in mind? When we're, we were beginning this church, um, we were not in this space. In fact, we had to rent out different spaces, and we actually were like a church in a box in the sense that we had to rent a storage unit, and every Sunday we had to load and unload these huge trusses, these TVs, in and out of my truck and other trucks. We rented a space on Sunday nights, and it was exhausting. It was back-breaking work. If you've never been a part of a church plant, it comes with a lot of sweat, doesn't it? So um, shortly uh, into launching the church, I thought of a great idea. A friend of mine said, hey, have you ever thought about strengthening your core? Now, who here is into strengthening their core? Raise your hand. It's a new kind of fad or thing, right? So I'm like, well, my lower back hurts. I need to strengthen my core. A friend invited me to a class called Body Flow. Body Flow is a combination of Tai Chi, Pilates, and yoga. And they said, this will be good for you. But I didn't want to go to Body Flow alone, so I invited uh, at the time, our associate pastor, Wes Roberts, to come with me. And I thought, team building exercise. Wes and I go to body flow. Let's do this. We'll strengthen our core. We'll strengthen our team. So we set off. And we went to body flow in 2014. It's been that long. And uh, we get into this place. Uh, it was called ESAC Fitness at the time on Johnny Dodds. There's 50 women and Wes and me. And they're all in the yoga gear. We're not in yoga gear. We're just in normal gear, shorts, T-shirt. And let me tell you what happens in these classes. For those who are afraid to go, guess what? Be afraid. Like, be, be afraid to do this. Um, here's two things that happen. You sweat and you shake. Listen, they do these poses. Down dog. Is that one of them? Down dog. Ha happy baby? There's a pose called happy. You're laying on your back. You're pulling your and all this, and then you're doing side planks. I just noticed there's mirrors everywhere. I noticed a couple of things. The mirrors were fogging up near Wes and myself, and I was making weird noises, like just grunts. I, you know, I grew up watching tennis, playing tennis, and I was making grunts. Wes kept looking at me. Finally, near the end of the class, I look over. I'm trying to do a plank. Wes is just flat on the floor. And I'm like, Wes, and he won't look at me, and he won't talk to me. And, uh, gosh, we were sweating so much. And we leave the class, and he goes, I'm never working out with you again. <laughs> now, here's, here's the irony. Our Wes Roberts and his family are now moving back from Tennessee with the primary goal of joining our church and growing their family in our church. So see, it worked. Team building exercise, right? <laughs> Uh, they're going to be here, I'm told, next week. So we want uh, Wednesday. So look, you're going to see uh, Wes and Bree, and we want to welcome them with a huge DI Fellowship hug back into the fold. We're really excited about that. But, you know, I did have the long-term uh, view in mind, right? Like, 
You know, we wanted to build our friendship and we wanted to build our bodies. It didn't work out quite the way we thought it would. But I think that's uh, kind of what 1 Peter is all about. And you'll see that. We're going to look at the introduction to this book. We're going to look at kind of the first 12 verses. That's a lot to read, Jonathan. Thank you. Believe it or not, in the Greek, that's one sentence primarily. It's a run-on sentence, Peter. Come on. (laughs) But anyway, um, our passage, I believe, teaches this truth. As people of faith, God calls us to face our trials with the long view in mind. As people of faith, God calls us to face our trials with the long view in mind. And we'll pull out these truths. First, faith hopes. Second, faith endures. Third, faith delights. Let's jump in. Point number one, faith hopes. We read these words. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in these various provinces. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. And as a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. So first, as we see in the opening here, in the intro, this letter is from Peter. Why is that a big deal? Well, we preached on Peter a few weeks ago because Peter was a fisherman. And uh, he's saying, this is, this is Peter, y'all. I'm writing to you on behalf of God as an apostle. But uh, historians have trouble with this book being from Peter. Why? Because actually it's an eloquent book. It's very well written. And they're like, there's no way this book could have been written by that guy. The guy who was a fisherman, right? Uh, the guy who, would, uh, be, who was very impulsive. The guy who was guilt-ridden, who abandoned Jesus at the last minute before Jesus faced the cross. That Peter, how could he write this book, this letter? It's impossible. But is it? Uh, in the book of Acts, this same Peter, this guilt-ridden, shame-ridden, impulsive man receives the Holy Spirit and then God unleashes his grace, his mercy to all who hear. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, I think it's John and Peter, they're preaching the gospel. 5,000 new people come to faith in Jesus. And the religious leaders are like, this is impossible. They arrest Peter and they start to accuse Peter of this and that. And, and they're like, this can't be happening. This is the fishermen. But then there's this beautiful verse that tells, about, tells us about Peter. It says in Acts 4, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And then they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. And it's this Peter who writes this letter. This is the author. How about the audience of 1 Peter? Who's it being written for? Peter goes on to say, I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. And it lists these different places which are now in modern-day Turkey. 
But here's the thing. He's not writing specifically just for them. He's writing for all believers. And never in the, in the Bible are these kind of two words. And other uh, passages, uh, other translations uh, have it written, um, God's uh, elect exiles. Here we read God's chosen foreigners. Never before have those two words been paired, okay? We've seen the word exiles. You know, the people of Israel, they're exiled here and there. They're nomadic. God's bringing them into a promised land. We read about God being, uh, God's people being chosen. To be chosen means to be taken from something toward something or for something. And what Peter's doing here is he's saying, God's chosen people who are foreigners, who are scattered. He's basically saying, you guys, you're made for a world that is not this world. You're now dual citizens in Jesus. And God is making, he will make a new heaven and a new earth, and you're meant for that world. Are you catching it? It's subtle, but it's beautiful. So he's saying, if you are a follower of Jesus, take note, you're chosen, you're beloved, for another world. And so um, then we enter into the kind of the meat of the story or the letter. He writes, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by his great mercy we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, or another translation says a living hope, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that's kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. So what he's saying is God has chosen you. You're now foreigners, but he's chosen you not just from the world you're in, but for this other world, for this living hope, for this precious inheritance where there will be no more decay. The implication here is God has a beautiful plan. And we, you and I, are called to be people of hope in that plan. Uh, in the fall, my wife and I, we thought we had a great idea of FaceTiming my grandmother. My grandmother is 96 years old. Her name is Nana. That's her name to me. That's not her real name. Her real name is Wanda. Anyone have a Nana in here? No? Ah, oh, Yes. Okay, we all have these cute names for our grandma and grandpas, right? So to me, she's Nana. We FaceTime Nana, and we talk to her just briefly in the fall. The challenge is Nana has Alzheimer's. So she can barely kind of figure out who we are. And it was a brief kind of beautiful but sad conversation. And then I got a call from my aunt with whom Nana lives, and she says, Paul, I've just got to share this. It's both beautiful and, and hard. Nana keeps going around to your pictures in the room, in the picture frames, and she's talking to them as if she's talking to you. And it's both beautiful and hard because she's kind of not all there, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are dealing with elderly parents, siblings, and it's hard, like they're not all there. And some of them have turned mean, some of them have shut down. Nonetheless, you can see that the life they have, it's 
fading, and as it's fading, your relationship with them is fading. And it just doesn't sit well. It's really, really hard to navigate, isn't it? God is saying, I have a plan. They're not meant, and you're not meant for this world. We have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that's kept in heaven. It's pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. And I know my hope is that I will see Nana, and I'll hug Nana again, and she will know with the fullness of her being and the fullness of my being who she is and who I am, and that we share a precious love and a precious bond. Excuse me. C.S. Lewis writes it like this. At present, we are on the outside of the world, this world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and purity of mourning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see, but all of the leaves of the New Testament are wrestling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. Point number one, faith hopes. Faith hopes. Point number two, faith endures. All right, we got serious there. We need to lighten the, the mood. Um, do we have any gold miners in here? Raise your hand. So why do, I, why do I ask this? Well, once I preached on shepherding sheep, and after the sermon, I, a guy comes up, and he's like, I'm a shepherd. <laughs> true story, true story. So no gold miners in here. Uh, anyone watch the show Gold Rush on TV? Are you going to admit it? I know the language is kind of rough. They bleep out a lot of words. Look, I am I, intrigued by this show. Uh, gold mining, it looks very rough, and it looks rewarding. So for those that aren't gold miners, all of us, let me tell you what goes into gold mining. This show, it's based in Alaska, and they have to wait uh, for the, the, the ground to thaw, okay? They have to purchase ground or rent ground. They have, the miners have to wait for the ground to thaw. Then they have to take these huge excavators and machines and clear topsoil and other soil, and it's ripping, and, and it's expensive. And um, they do this, and then they finally get to something called bedrock, okay? And there's gold, supposedly, from kind of old streams and rivers lodged in the bedrock. And the idea is you're going for that gold between the bedrock. So these, the bedrock has kind of these huge pebbles and rocks. And these, these miners, they, they get these excavators, these cranes, they, they, they put the, the bedrock in trucks. Then they bring it to these huge plants. And they, do, they, they dump kind of the loads into the plants. At first, there's a grate that takes out all the big rocks. And then it goes into a shaker, right? And, and all the dirt's being shaken around. Then it goes on a conveyor belt, and then it gets like hammered with high-pressure water. And then the tailings run out the end, and there's gold, ideally, in, in these little skirts at the end. And then they take the skirts, or you know, the filters, and they put them in these pots, they shake them out, and then essentially they have to boil the, the, the substance until the gold is refined. It's, it's unbelievably strenuous, but it must be worth it, right? I mean, people go all in to look for the gold. And it's a fitting metaphor for us and for Peter here. 
we read these words, so truly be glad, there's a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire, tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So what's the implication here? It's that God is attentive to and not absent from our trials, your trials. Might it be that the hardship you're facing is not God's rejection, but God's refinement in your life? David Helm writes it like this. There will be seasons in life when you will lack provision and power and position and protection and a sense of permanence. And at times you will become the recipient of verbal or physical persecutions that arise on account of the word. This includes the pain experienced by those who have loved ones whose bodies appear to be wasting away before their very eyes. And this includes the dark moments in life when we are asked to fend off the prowling attacks of Satan. What Paul is saying first is faith hopes in the future and it endures in the present. It endures. It stays the course through the trials. Why? Because God is attentive to, not absent from. God is refining, not reject, rejecting who you are in this moment. Faith endures. And point number three, faith delights. Did you know well before you were born, this is staggering, God had individuals writing messages for you. That's what Peter's saying here. Before you were born, God had people writing messages for you. The passage concludes, this salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that through their messages, that though their messages, let me try that again. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven it's also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. He's basically saying, well before your time, there was a time when people wrote down the messages I gave to them about Jesus Christ. Why? For you. For instance, for those that aren't Bible scholars or aren't accustomed to the whole of Scripture, this is a passage from Isaiah 53 written far, far in advance of Jesus' coming. Listen to these words. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. 
Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our, our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What Peter is closing our passage with, he's saying all of that was written about the suffering Messiah, the suffering Christ. Why? For you. And it reminds me of a story, Pastor Jim, he's not here this morning, but for those that don't know, we're going to share more about this in a few weeks. Pastor Jim is a war hero. And his wife, uh, after 50 years, she finally got him to share about his stories in Vietnam. And she's written his story in a book. And so we're going to share about this book in a few weeks. But one of the things that's gripped me about reading Jim's book is this, a, a gentleman named Sergeant Gottlieb. Jim, in 1966-1967, as a 22-year-old, was sent to Vietnam. And it, like, the book details how horrific this experience was for him. Lives were being lost left to him and right to him, under him. And, uh, and he was not a man of faith. And uh, this, this uh, Sergeant Gottlieb, they, they had the same rank. Sergeant Gottlieb was uh, allowed to go home after his first tour. You know what Sergeant Gottlieb did as they were in the trenches together, bleeding together. Jim was wounded multiple times. He sent Jim a Bible from the States, a little Bible. And at the end of the story in Jim's book, Jim shares how he took that Bible everywhere with him from then on. In fact, that little Bible sent by Gottlieb sat on Jim's desk, for 20, on his desk, on the top, for 28 years. So this week, this last week, I was talking to Pastor Jim saying, have you spoken with Gottlieb about the book? And he goes, we've tried desperately to find him. We can't find him. Well, it turns out we did find him. I went and we found him online, and he has passed away. 2014. But his faith has not passed away because it now lives on in Jim Amendolia and in you. Anyone that's had an encouraging conversation with Kathy or Jim, it directly traces back to Sergeant Gottlieb in that little Bible that he sent Jim, that Jim kept with him for decades. What Peter is saying here is don't just hope in the faith, don't just endure in the faith, but delight in those people that got the message to you. It came with a cost. So in closing, I just want to share this. As people of faith, God calls us, calls you, to face trials with the long view in mind. So the application is this. Faith hopes in the future. Let me ask, is it okay to not be okay? And the answer Peter is saying is yes. Do you feel like a nomad in life where you're struggling to fit in and find permanency? That's actually normal as a follower of Jesus because you're made for a new world where there will be no more decay. Hold 
on to that hope. Look to that hope. It's okay to not be okay. And even with others, let me just say, I'm married. I'm great at giving advice until it's harmful. Don't try to convince someone out of that space. Sit with them in it. Love them in it. Hope with them in it. Faith hopes. Faith endures. God is not rejecting you. He's refining you if you're going through something. Don't turn away from him. Turn towards him and stay the course. And last but not least, faith delights. Who can you thank? Who can you thank today for where you're sitting? Maybe it's worth a text or maybe it's just worth a prayer. They've moved on. But thanks be to God. I just saw someone lean over and hug someone in the back of the room. Thanks be to God that you're part of a beautiful story and the best is yet to come. I close with with this beautiful poem. The stars shine over the mountains. The stars shine over the sea. The stars look up to the mighty God. The stars look down on me. The stars shall last for a million years, a million years in a day. But God and I will live in love when the stars have passed away. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. We thank you for this message of hope, endurance, and delight. Draw us close to you today. No matter where we are, God, draw us close to you into this hope, into this endurance, and into this delight. And we want to do it together as a community of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.